When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. New VanCast to launch into the week. A happy Father's Day, uh, a day after the fact. All the dads out there, uh, whether you are a dad, have a dad, going to be a dad, whatever the case, hope you had a great Father's Day weekend. Tom, not a ton going on with the Vancouver Canucks. That's going to change here in the weeks ahead, obviously. There are a few hints out there that this might be the week that the Sedins actually get rolled out as part of the organization. So we'll see where the week takes us, but... uh, there's always things to get into. Hey, we've done this for years, so uh, the fact that there wasn't any hard Canuck news over the weekend is not going to stop us. Uh, Harm's got a piece up that we'll get to as well, but what do you make of the playoffs and where we stand? I mean, every team remaining is six wins away from hoisting the Stanley Cup, and uh, the two favorites, uh, you know, there's some heat on them now. Like, they go home, they got to take care of business because I don't think either Tampa or Vegas really relishes the fact of you know, the idea of trying to go back on the road to stay alive. So, yeah, if in my mind, there's a fair bit of pressure now on both Tampa and Vegas to get it right in Game 5 on home ice. No question. And this is where you get to this moment where, like, nothing about the Canadians' playoff run, for example, is likely to prove sustainable, right? Like, no one's going to put them at the top of the North Division, or not the North Division, the... Uh, Northeast division <laughs> next year, right? Right. But sure. but it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. They were, what, 15 minutes away from a 3-1 stranglehold lead. They were, you know, they, like they're six wins away from the cup. Like we're at this moment late in the playoffs where sustainability and all those things I talk about, like it doesn't matter at all. You just take your shot. You take your shot. You've earned this level of a shot, you could get everything right as a general manager, everything right, win every trade, nail every draft pick, and still maybe, depending on the you know whims of the hockey gods, not get another opportunity like this for a decade, right? That's how close all four of these teams are. And that's the best part of the season. Like, this is great. This is every game feels like single game elimination, even though it's not really until you get to a game seven. And yeah, I mean... I still think Vegas is more likely to advance uh, than Montreal. I still think Tampa Bay is more likely to advance than New York. But who cares? Like, who cares? Any team can win two of three. Any team. Right. Um, you know, the, the the Buffalo Sabres could come in and beat Tampa two of three, right? Uh, so team quality, all the things we care about, waiting at this stretch. The sm- samples are so small that anyone can win it. Uh, fantastic. It's going to be a lot of fun. Um, what a ride. What a ride for the Habs, eh? Like, the, there were times this season, like, they were throwing people overboard, you know, Julian and the goalie coach and uh, Stefan Waite and on and on. And now, you know, you get into this series, you know, Ducharme tests positive, brutal news. You've got two, you know, you're two ones. Like, they were so close to being up 3-1 in this series. It's crazy how quickly 
things can change and your luck can change in the playoffs. Uh, I, it does, if, if the Habs lose game five to the Leafs, right? In overtime, the Galchenyuk brutal giveaway, right? right, right. Yeah. If, if, the, if instead Galchenyuk just puts it behind, <laughs> right? And, and that series plays out with the Leafs defeating the Habs. Like, does Bergevin have a job? And now he's six wins away from the cup. He almost was up 3-1 in the conference <laughs> semifinal. It's crazy, man. Playoff hockey is insane. Yeah, and the, you know, for me, the fact that Montreal continues to get, I mean, Josh Anderson came through the other night, the crappy goal to tie it and then the winner, but he had had such a tough go in the playoffs. We've talked about the fact that like Gallagher's not scoring last pod. We talked about Philip Deneau and his role, but you know, the mileage that they're getting from Joel Armia and Paul Byron continues to, to shine for the Montreal Canadians. Uh, it's incredible that in yeah. some ways you they all, are. Joel Armia's agent is the real winner of the playoffs. <laughs> Uh, but you're right, like two wins and, they, and they've, they've put a scare into Vegas. Like there's no question. And we've seen this now for a couple of playoffs in a row where for whatever reason, it just feels like at crunch time, Vegas struggles so mightily to score goals. And I know they got the, the two that they needed. I mean, their defense is carrying their offense right now. And you know, the, the goaltending too. Like I, I thought goaltending controversies were reserved for Vancouver, but apparently that's not the case. Uh, we know what happened last year with Marc-Andre Fleury and Alan Walsh and Robin Lanner, and they go to Lanner last night and he delivers, and then, then he delivered post-game as well. I mean, those are some wild comments about showing up at the rink four hours early so that he could, uh, you know, binge hate, essentially, on uh, all of <laughs> the, the, his- the, <laughs> the stuff on Twitter. Like, it's wild, though, that, you know, whatever a guy needs to find his motivation, hey, I'm all for it. But for him to cop to that after the fact that, yeah, he's reading Twitter to get riled up, to get ready to get out there and make the saves that he had to, and he played well. And so it'll be interesting to see where uh, the Vegas goaltending decision goes from here. It's like, uh, bro, shouldn't you be stretching? Like, nah, doom scrolling. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm busy. <laughs> I love it. Um, Robin Leonard, what a what a cat, right? Um I have a good Robin Leonard story. I have a good Robin Leonard is the best story. So I'll tell it because I don't think I've ever told it. Um, certainly on this podcast or, or anywhere else in public. Um, Robin Leonard, the, my last two months in Florida included the, you know, free agent day of 2019 where the Panthers, uh, I guess we still at the time signed Connolly, Strawman, Bobrovsky, and, uh, Nola Chari, right? Four big signings and uh, the, you know, everyone was sort of Bobrovsky and Panarin, right? That was sort of the buzz in our market. Ultimately, of course, Panarin choosing Broadway uh, or, or yeah, Broadway. And so Robin Leonard was also a free agent that year and he, he'd come to Florida during the courting period, right? He'd come to visit. Um, obviously, goaltending was a position of need following the Luongo retirement. And so I'm sitting at my desk one day and I get a text from someone in our hockey ops group and they're like, who's leaking this shit? <laughs> and I check and it's a CBS reporter who's, uh, you know, reporting that Robin Leonard is down in Florida, which of course was true. And so I spend, you know, this, this, this often happens, right? Like this often happens where you spend some time trying to figure out like, how did this get out? How, who found this out? Right. And so I spend all this time, sort of calling sources and calling the reporter and 
and chatting with various people who I think he, he has contacts, relationships with in the organization into a man. Everyone's like, nope, didn't get it from them. Obviously, the reporter is not going to tell their source, uh, tell you who their source is. You're just fishing there. And finally, I figure out um, through, a, through a Twitter search of their mentions that someone had tweeted at them um, a Facebook link. And so I click on the Facebook link and the Facebook link is to a exotic pet store specializing in, in lizards and reptiles. So Robin Leonard, for the people who don't know, is like a big reptile guy, like a big reptile enthusiast. Um, and he'd visited this exotic pet store while he'd been in Florida. And this exotic pet store happened to be owned by a Florida Panthers season ticket holder. Come like on. the one guy, the one guy in South Florida who would have Robin Leonard walk into his store and be like, Robin Leonard. Wow. Can I get a photo and post it on my Facebook page? So <laughs> the, this, this reporter had obviously been sent the, the link to this Facebook right. story from this exotic pet store featuring Robin Leonard holding like a giant iguana in the store and used that to deduce accurately, as it turns out, that Leonard had been visiting the Panthers with the Panthers. Um, so I sort of get back to the hockey ops group and I'm like, so is Leonard really into lizards? And they're like, yeah, <laughs> Leonard is into the lizards. Like he was he was talking about visiting a store. And I'm like, well, there's the leak right there. That's that's what happened. That's why this is public. And we all had a heart, we all had a hearty laugh, um, but that was like the weirdest sort of leak investigation of my lifetime. I, I'm still I still find that extremely charming, and you know a, a tribute to what a interesting guy, a different cat, Robin Leonard is. He was tremendous um, on Sunday night as the Golden Knights leveled the series two two. Uh, that is uh, that's a good story. I'm glad. Uh, why why were you holding that one? Why didn't you tell that one earlier? We've been doing this forever, but uh, I'm glad. I don't know. I don't know that Robin Leonard's ever come up. <laughs> That's probably true. Probably true. Uh, I, I mentioned at the top that there wasn't a whole lot going on with uh, the Canucks here since we last recorded, but Nate Schmidt's name did surface. He finished 13th in, in Lady Bing voting, so uh, I don't think there's a trophy for finishing 13th in, in that, but I thought this was interesting, and you are one of the voters this year in this sort of makeshift COVID year where they've scaled down the, the voting a little bit. Um <laughs> Are we going to get into the massive controversy no, no, about Lady Bing voting? We're My not. goodness. We're not. But it was a way for me to mention a Canuck at the very least. But I think <laughs> it was it was good. I mean, it's been long overdue to see the shift towards defensemen. Like, defensemen right. finished 1-2 in the voting. I think uh, including Schmidt, 6 of the top 14. And, look, I know Nate Schmidt underwhelmed offensively this season for the Vancouver Canucks. But the fact the guy took two minor penalties in 54 games when you think of the number of penalties that Edler and Tyler Myers and others on the hockey club took like I mean that is he defended the way that you wanted Nate Schmidt to defend this year he took a, a hooking and a holding penalty those were his two penalties one was midseason and one was right after uh, they came out of uh, the whole COVID break so uh, again the numbers weren't there offensively but I still think and I think there's way more there for Nate Schmidt, if he remains a Vancouver Canuck and, and he comes back for a second go round, like I do expect that he'll be way better in year two than he was in year one. For sure, and you know the one the reason that Nate Schmidt wasn't on my ballot is that I figure he might have taken a few more penalties if Edler hadn't gotten to them first. <laughs> <laughs> what a teammate! Um, yeah, no, uh, but I was glad to see. Slavin win. I thought that was a no-brainer. If you're a matchup defenseman on an elite team who plays a ton of minutes and your only penalty over the course of an entire season is an automatic one, 
Like, if you're not winning the Lady Bing or a strong contender every year, what are we even doing, right? Like, that to me is obvious. And, you know, I thought my ballot was good. I like Cam Atkinson and, and William Carlson as, as contenders. I thought they both played a ton of minutes, played matchup roles. I had Chris Tanev on my list. He's still criminally underappreciated in this. He didn't take a ton of penalties either this year. He also plays matchup hockey. Um, you know, that that guy for me, it's, it's a travesty that he's never been a Lady Bing winner, much less a finalist in his career, considering the way that he's approached this sport for so long, doing everything you'd want from any guy. Um, yeah, I mean, Lady Bing, it is what it is. It's, it's, it is an award that we shouldn't vote on at all. It should be voted on by the officials. That's my personal view. Well, my only thought is, I mean, I think the voters got it right, but my other thought is get rid of the goalies in this category. Like, come on, Marc-Andre Fleury got two first place votes. Like, goalies are a separate breed. You just told <laughs> a reptile story about goalies. Yeah. Not that he's not the only it's guy. It's because Marc-Andre Fleury wasn't refreshing his Twitter feed before games. That's why he got the votes. Like, Marc-Andre Fleury got two first place votes. Jack Campbell, Philip Grubauer, Kevin Lankinen got a vote. Like, most people in the hockey world haven't even seen Kevin Lankinen play, let alone know uh, how gentlemanly <laughs> or, or sportsmanlike he is. And right. his goal, to me, it should be skaters. Whatever. I'm not, we've spent too much time already uh, on the Lady Bing. On the Lady Bing. My goodness. Slow news day. Slow no, news day, J-Pat. But I, I can tie this now into... There's two pieces up at The Athletic that I want to point to. Uh, and we'll get to Harms in a sec because he has uh, done a deep dive, as he loves to do. And it's a really it's an instructive one on JT Miller. But there's a piece up about the most... Uh, I was going to say underappreciated, but that's not really it. It's, it's players that exceeded expectations this past regular season. You just mentioned Chris Tanev. So for Canuck audience, uh, you know, it, it might be uh, worth checking out. Uh, Dom Lecision and, and Haley Salvian have written about Tanev's first year in Calgary and what to expect in year two. And Dom's eating a little bit of crow here because uh, in free agency last October, and he's included the tweet, and I love it, and it said, can change Calgary to a loser after that Tanev deal. Huge overpay for a defender that's likely washed. And now uh, Chris Tanev, I think, finished third on their list of players uh, that exceeded expectations in the national. Fourth. Fourth behind Devontae's. Uh, Rupe hints and your boy Carter Verhage, but you know I, I, I'm not sure this should be a huge surprise that Tanev exceeded expectations. Tom, like I think everybody. Well, first of all, you know, four year contract. People looked at the back end and thought, okay, they may run into some trouble there. But we just had come to this conclusion that he was always going to be hurt because he has had a run of injuries. But if ever there was a year for Chris Tanev to stay healthy and play well, like you think about it, they had the extended COVID break before the summer camp last year, then they right. had another off season, and then it was a shortened season. And so it was, you know, he was healthy, he came to camp in Calgary healthy, and he didn't have to play 82 games where he was throwing himself in front of pucks, he only had to play 56, and he played them as Chris Tanev did and does. So I'm not surprised that Chris Tanev had a good year for the Calgary Flames. Still not sure that there will be value there at the back end of the contract, but it doesn't surprise me that Chris Tanev's on this list of guys that exceeded expectations here in this past year. Although I didn't think there'd be value on the front end of the contract either, in fairness, right? Like, I I was pretty skeptical about Chris Tanev's 
sort of the way that he'd been, he was aging all around, like the way that defensive defensemen age generally. And I think that's something we discussed on this podcast. Like I was very skeptical of the Canucks retaining Chris Tanev from the outset, um, you know, unless it was the right type of sweetheart deal. Ultimately, he signed a, a real, like a substantive deal with the Calgary Flames, a fair valuation for a, for a player who's accomplished what he is and good for him because no one deserves, you know, <laughs> to be recognized for just being a good soldier, a great teammate, uh, like Chris Tanev does. So, you know, happy for him that, that he landed in Calgary and I'm happy to have been wrong too. I'm happy to see him, you know, I'm happy to see his hockey brain sort of continue to function at a level that he's producing such spectacular defensive results. Um, you know, to the point where I don't expect the flames to expose him in the expansion process, right? Like there were times after he signed where I'd, I'd often tell the joke, like, you know, it'll be good for the rivalry with Seattle when Chris Tanev's the first <laughs> Kraken captain, right? And uh, and no chance, like no chance. He's definitely going to stay in Calgary. He's, he was one of their best players last year. Uh, great for him. I, I do think we can still side eye some of the some of the term remaining on that three year contract, but he ex- he's already he's already exceeded expectations to a point where you know I, I have to rethink my overall analysis. Like, is this guy smart enough that if he stays healthy? he can continue to beat father time for another three years and make that contract look good for the, for the flames. Probably not, but maybe I'm, I'm certainly more open to that possibility now than I was before the season. Yeah. And I think it's, uh, it'll be interesting to see what happens with Mark Giordano. And if he's not back, then does, does Tanev's role, like are, are the flames asking too much? Are they going to expect Tanev to, you know, play more than he already does? And that's where I think, with an aging player and an 82 game season, you might be asking for, for trouble in that regard, but we'll see. But I'm just, I'm glad that uh, Tanev had a good year and I'm glad to see that it's being recognized. Uh, that piece is up at the athletic. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone. Luckily with 24 seven us based live customer service from discover. Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep. You heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. All right. Harm has weighed in on the JT Miller as a third line center debate. And he's done it in Harm style. Uh, he has married the eye test, and he's got uh, the underlying numbers, got some video in there. It's, well, it's, a, it's a terrific piece. It's up at The Athletic. Check it out. And before we get into this, because we've discussed the issue itself, Tom, but one thing that Harm does so well, I mean, he does a ton of things well, but one thing that I, I love as a reader of Harm's work is when he attaches video, he does such a good job of isolating the player yeah. in question. And I think this is really, like, if, if you're trying to break into the business, if you're somebody that's doing some of this work already and you want to get to a place like where harm is, he does such a good job of, and he uses the, you know, the black window essentially, except for the little box. And it just, it allows you, you're, you're, you're drawn to the guy that you're supposed to be watching. Like I'm not a prospects guy. I'll admit that. I mean, I, I'm interested in prospects, but I, there are so many people that do work in, in that realm but part of the problem I always find is when people post prospect clips, you know, so often it's a static camera at center ice in, you know, whether it's a college rink or some Helsinki rink in a foreign or land. Exactly. Yeah, 
And I have to watch Magnetogars. the clip. Magnetogars. <laughs> I have to watch the clip like five times before I realize <laughs> what I'm what I'm actually supposed to be watching because it's hard to see the puck. You know, you're at a distance. There's bodies in front. Harm does such a good job, and to me, it just makes reading those pieces that much better because I know right on, like I'm locked on right away to what I'm supposed to be watching, what he's trying to point out with the video that accompanies his pieces. Yeah, it's amazing. And I love the microstat tracking in this case too, like tracking the amount of rush chances and comparing it to past tracking data. Um, you know, he, he builds his own data set. He breaks it down so clearly and, you know, combining it with video, I just, I think he, you know, it's as thorough a look as you can get, um, you know, on the civilian side anyway. And, and that's what we try to do at The Athletic. That's what Harmon does so well at The Athletic. Like that, that, that right there for VIPs, you know, like that's what you're getting. You're not just getting X guy sort of flipping off or, or, or flipping off at the mouth. Um, just sort of saying <laughs> what they think willy nilly. Like this, this Harmon suspended his own prior um, beliefs did the work, did the video, crunched the numbers, and came came to this conclusion. Now, the conclusion is one that I agree with entirely, having not done as much work as Harmon, uh, which is just that JT Miller's good. Like, JT Miller's a really good player. He's going to be effective at center or on the wing because JT Miller's a really good player. But what JT Miller does best on the forecheck and in transition and with his speed is all accentuated when he plays on the wall. And the things that he struggles in, layering underneath as an F3 a little bit, occasionally those high-risk puck touches, right, that lead to turnovers, uh, those things are all accentuated by him being at center. And so, for me, it's a no-brainer. He will provide more value to the Canucks if he's on the wing, but do they have that option? Are there enough 3C options available? Um, you know, that I'm not sure about. And, and I do sort of think that unless the Canucks can find someone who can credibly do that job that, you know, they may, depending on how effective the middle six wingers they're able to bring in are, uh, be best served playing Miller at center uh, in a depth role, maybe, maybe second or third line, depending. So, you know, look, I don't, I don't, I'm not completely opposed to the idea. I just don't think that's how you maximize JT Miller. Like, I don't think Miller at 3C, even if he ends up taking a ton of shifts on the wing with Patterson and perhaps with Bo Horvat too, I just don't think that's how you're going to get the most value out of the player. I don't think you're getting the the top 15 forward we saw in 2019-20 out of Miller if he's playing it at center. And and that's what the Canucks should be looking at. Like this team that still needs elite pieces, you know, there's a few players that they have in the system internally that can maybe take that step. Like maybe Besser continues to develop. Maybe Miller bounces back. Maybe Hoaglander or Pod Colson can get to that level in the years to come. Uh, but for next season, like, who's your best bet of those four guys? Like, it's probably JT Miller bouncing back. And that's, that's only going to happen if he's on the wing, for me. So, you know, it's an interesting quandary. But I, I think I think ideally, like, the, the best possible option, and, and you know, I know I, we broke this down last week. This was sort of last week's talking point, but I'll bring it up again. Like, a guy like Sam Reinhardt who can play center, right, I like, I like that idea. A guy like Alex Kerfoot who can play center. I like that idea for the Canucks. Even like a lower-end Maple Leaf guy who could shake loose an expansion if they go 4-4-1. A guy like Pierre Engvall. Um, that could make sense for the Canucks because that gives you a guy who can play 3C but also can play on the wing, right? And then you have options. Then you can do different things, different looks based on the matchup, based on the opponent. 
And I think especially with how this Canucks coaching staff is built and how flexible tactically Travis Green tends to be, um, you know, that I think would be the best case scenario is like we have this as a back pocket option, but we don't have to lean on it. Um, it's going to take some work, though, and some creativity for the Canucks to even put themselves in that spot, frankly. Yeah, and I would direct uh, the VIPs to check out Harm's piece uh, on JT Miller because I, I thought he did it really well. I, I didn't realize, and I guess maybe as I think about it now, it makes some sense, but the discrepancy in rush chances from the wing. I mean, if he's the center and he's the right. you know, the deep man in his own zone and other guys are able to, to get the puck and go off to the races – well, One and the, the failed things- exit rate, right? The failed exit rate just balloons for him and when he gets more touches at center. And that's one thing he talked about liking playing center, right? He's like, as a wing, sometimes you go through a whole period and you barely touch the puck, right? And it's like, yeah, but that might be okay, man. <laughs> <laughs> like, that might be okay. Um, just, one, of the things, one of the things I love most about JT Miller, and I, I mean, it really is, it's a small sort of understated thing in isolation, but if you're able to get the puck out of your own zone and start moving to the attack, then it's not that small. But the delay play along the boards. Oh, it's so good. Like, you know, a lot of wingers, puck comes to them, and they'll just chip it and get it out. I mean, that's goal number one is just to get it out of the zone, obviously. But, like, that takes some real stones and some confidence to you know, sort of stand still in your own zone and let other, like the the other team, you know, they, they sort of second guess what you're trying to do. And he's just got that hesitation play and it's brilliant. And like, he's so effective with it. And, you know, that's a play that you're not going to see him make often if he's in the middle and not on the wing. Well, and this is one thing that a lot of Canucks players, like I remember Troy Stetcher telling me about this in 1920 was that Miller really demands that players don't give up the puck willy-nilly, right? Like, if you are, a, even if you're a defenseman, right? Miller plays forward, but even if you're a defenseman, if you quick up or, or just gain the line for a dump-in, te- you tend to hear about it on the ice. Like, hey, just circle back, regroup, let's keep the puck here. Um, that's like a real point of emphasis, something that he barks about a lot in his day-to-day. And so, you know, the, the delay move isn't just a, a move that JT Miller does regularly and that provides value. Like I think it's part of a holistic way that he views the game. We often hear about him as a smart player. Um, you know, Newell Brown on our podcast last week was singing his praises for his hockey brain at length last week. And, and I think that's part of it too, right? JT Miller doesn't like to see his team's waste possessions. That's present in his game. But what we don't see on the ice necessarily is that he's also talking to all of his teammates about it all the time. Like it's a real thing that he focuses on, drills down on, brings in terms of changing and flipping a team mindset. Uh, the Canucks haven't had enough two-way talent to really dominate play the way you'd, you'd like to see a team do at five on five, typically speaking during his tenure here. But, uh, you know, if you had the type of team that could really win a lot of battles and really control the game, that type of mindset could provide some uh, some excellent value to the club. And it's just sort of one of those interesting intangibles that you hear about when you talk to Canucks players, um, but, you know, that you might not see, that might not come across on your television screen. We are just over a month away from the NHL draft beyond that free agency. So, you know, barring a late summer trade, we're about five weeks away from the Canucks being shaped for next season. Like, we are going to start to get some real answers about, you know, how they go about being aggressive and filling out this roster that has so many needs. 
we've spent a lot of time on the pod talking about that third line center slot, whether it's JT Miller or whether it's uh, trade or, or free agency, whatever the case. As we sit here today, Tom, on the 21st of June, is third line center the biggest offseason need for the Vancouver Canucks? Or with Miller as an option, do you have somewhere else that you're looking that you would put at the very top of your wish list for things that they have to address here in the offseason? I mean, for me, the higher leverage ad that they need is a top six center, a top six forward for me, right? I mean, I, I just think if you can bring in another top six quality forward, you know, that that gives you a ton of options. Like position depend, independent, I, I that's what they need in my mind. I, I just don't think, you know, the way that people are penciling in the Canucks lineup, for example, right? It's like, say you go Hoaglander, Pedersen, Besser, right? I don't think that's a line that's going to see a ton of tough matchups, right? And then yeah. you go Pearson, Horvat, and question mark, right? <laughs> and then you go question mark <laughs> slash Tyler Mott, right? Miller and Pod Colson. Is that roughly correct? Like, do you have any different thoughts on that? Is that not sort of what you're looking at? It's kind of what I'm looking at depth chart wise. So, you know, I mean, you need, at the very least, like in that milieu, right? It's like, yeah, it would be great if you can get a second line or a third line forward. Great. Then you can bump Miller to the Patterson line. You bump Hor- uh, Hoaglander back to Horvat's wing. But I don't want to see Hoaglander play the types of toughs that he played last year next season, right? Like, I, I don't want that. I want them to find someone who can produce and punish opponents uh, defensively and, and, you know, Hoaglander can play elsewhere in the lineup, right? Like, you know, whether it's Miller at the left wing with Pod Colson on the right with a X third line center, you've brought in, uh, so, you know, so Derek Brassard, right. Uh, or, and I, I mean, I just, I don't want to see Hoaglander thrown to the wolves again next season. I want to see him put in a position to succeed ideally in like a sheltered scoring role where he can sort of do, you know, like New York Rangers era, um, oh my goodness. What's that player who plays for the wild now? He was with the Alain Vigneault, New York Rangers, Matt Zuccarello. I want to see him do like retro Matt Zuccarello things <laughs> in like a sheltered score, uh, sheltered scoring role. Like that's what I want to see. So for me, it's just a top six forward. Like really this team needs two good top nine forwards. If one of them plays center, great, but who cares? Just get the best value and the best players you can get top nine forwards and then you need two defensemen, and maybe those defensemen are Edler and Hamnick, but you need two. You need two defensemen, at least one righty, one lefty. Um, oh, I don't know how to. I don't know how to prioritize those. I'd say top six forward one, top four quality D two, third line center three, and then additional top four quality defensemen. But uh, realistically, a, a four five's fine. Um, Four. And that's a lot of needs for a team to have, right? Like that's a lot of needs for a team with only about eight million in, in projected cap space once Pedersen and Hughes' second contracts are done to spend. Yeah, and I can't disagree with that. And yet I look at that defense and this idea of Hammond and Edler both coming back and returning the same defense core essentially. Oh, I know. With Jack Rathbone inserted, and that's great. That's a reason to get excited there. But you know, Nate Schmidt turns 30 next month. You've already got Edler who's going to be 36 at some point next season. Hamnick turns 31 in uh, August. Tyler Myers well into his 30s now. I mean, for much of this past season, they had Jordy Ben in the lineup. Uh, like, 
this defense needs an overhaul and and certainly the right side. And yet we know the premium that you got to pay for right side guys. So, you know, that just to me underscores that, you know, you look at a top six forward. I think others might say third line center. I can say the right side of the defense. It just tells you how many, how many needs. And there's just no space to do any of it. Right. Which, which brings us to Oliver Ekman Larson. Like let's let's now talk about Oliver Ekman Lars because he's back on the market. He's back on the market despite the hard deadline and the way that that all went down last year. Now, personally, I was all in on saying that I thought an Oliver Ekman Larson trade to the Canucks could make sense so long as it included, and this was really important. I thought it made sense for the Canucks for two reasons: one, that all along the talks were going to include the Canucks reappropriating inefficient salary cap space. And that's something that I've been obsessed with for this team for a while. And the reason that I thought it made sense was that last year with Hughes and Pedersen in the last year of their ELCs, not to mention Demko in the last year of his, right? It made sense in my mind, the leverage of reallocating cap space in that season, in that unique opportunity, was so was high enough that I thought the Oliver Ekman Larson risk could be worth it, especially if it, you know, the cost included Louis going the other way or or Vertanen going the other way, or, you know, bad money being sent out to sort of facilitate the deal. That to me made sense. Now, the logic of that flipped pretty quickly because again, when I was sort of saying, I think this deal makes sense, that's before the market opened and they lost Markstrom and Tanev and Tavoli, right? Like, I thought it made sense as like a win-now maneuver, right? You you re- reallocate Erickson's cap space to a credible top four guy. You re-sign at least a couple of your UFAs. You keep a ton of talent. You sort of carry yourself as not a win-now team, but certainly a team poised to take a step. And, and you sort of dust your hands and, and understand that the risk is huge, but the leverage of that season mattered, right? That was the logic by which that deal made sense to me. Now, a year later, having seen the outflow of talent that the Canucks have seen, having brought in Nate Schmidt, who struggled in year one, right? Um, I don't know that an Oliver ekman Larson trade makes any sense for the Canucks, especially with, you know, the fact that Patterson and Hughes are going to take up so much of their cap space and the club, even if they were to reappropriate a ton of inefficient a cap to ekman Larson, like that's not going to move the needle enough in my mind and for long enough. And the liability is so huge through the 2027 season and the club's not going to be good enough, even with Oliver ekman Larson sort of filling in for say Erickson that I just don't think it makes sense. Like the Erickson Sam Bennett concept we talked about last pod, that to me is worth it because then you're looking at five years of upside, Right or at least four years of upside and then his age 31 season. With Ekman Larson, who's already 29 and signed through 2027, like that's a t- that you're just extending your risk in a season in which you're unlikely, even with that upgrade, to contend anyway. So this is one where people will be like, you're a flip-flopper, you're a flip-flopper, you were for that trade. Um, and it's like, yeah, I, I was, because circumstances dictated that the leverage was different then than now. And now it doesn't move the needle enough with where the team's at. Uh, in my mind, for this to be a can that the Canucks seriously try and kick again this offseason. And just to be clear, because you had me scratch my head there for a sec, 
you said Sam Bennett and you oh, sorry. Sam Reinhardt. I said Sam, Sam Reinhardt. Excuse you've me. You've always got Florida on your mind. That's, that's <laughs> yeah. <what I'm> <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> but I was like, sure. hang on, we didn't talk about Sam Bennett last pod. Uh, yeah, no, sorry. No, we Sam didn't talk Reinhardt. a lot. Excuse that's fine. Me. Just to recap for people, uh, like we didn't do this enough last October or whenever it was, six years left for Oliver Ekman Larson. He's 29. He's a left shot defenseman. Six he struggled years left. again last season. Six years left at 8.25. Yeah. So chew on that. Yeah, no, it's uh, not, that's not a deal that makes sense. But that's a risk that I thought could have made sense last year, especially if it would have, you know, been attached to them keeping Markstrom and keeping Toffoli, right? Uh, then I thought that was a deal that they could make. They could responsibly make. Um, especially if it came with, you know, like, if it had been for Tannen, Erickson, and, you know, uh, a conditional first, like, then I then I could have seen that as, as making sense. Now, look, maybe it wouldn't have worked out, but that's the type of deal that I liked for them. Um, you know, instead, they sort of didn't reallocate any cap space and, and acquired Nate Schmidt for a third, and that's fine. I think you probably prefer that trade in a vacuum, but when you look at where the Canucks are now and how much of their cap space is... Combined, like, again, it's when you look at the the four, right? Roussel, Erickson, Beagle, and Holtby. Like, Dom's model, we talked about it with Chris Tanev, right? Projects those guys to be worth minus 1.24 wins in value next year. And when you throw the Luongo recapture penalty onto it, which obviously is providing zero value, um, you know, that's a quarter of your cap space on guys who are projected to provide negative value. Like, if you <laughs> anything you can do to carve that out... And, and make, you know, useful hockey value out of, like, that's a, that's the first step in the Canucks having an aggressive offseason. If they cannot do that, if they cannot turn that morass into something of tangible hockey value, they're cooked. But turning it into something of hockey value that's also 29 and signed through 2027, considering where the team is right now, you know, that's not, that's not the way. So as the Oliver Ekman-Larsen... Trade talks heat up again. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. I wanted to mention as well, Carolina Hurricanes head coach Rod Brindamore, who last week was named the Jack Adams winner as coach of the year, joined Scott Burnside and Pierre Lebrun on the two-man advantage edition of the Athletic Hockey Show this week at the Athletic, so you can check that out. Campbell River's own Rod Brindamore walking away with Jack Adams. I want to finish on a bit of a... A sad note, Tom, but I wanted to take a moment to mark the passing of Tom Curvers, dead at the age of 58, way too young. Passed away uh, this morning after a battle with lung cancer. He'd been an assistant GM with the Minnesota Wild. Why are we mentioning him here on the VanCast? Not sure that uh, a lot of people, certainly younger uh, listeners, will remember or know. He spent part of a season here with the Vancouver Canucks back in 1990-91 Almost a point-a-game guy in the time that he spent with the Canucks. He had 27 points in 34 games. I think he got into six playoff games as well. So uh, 
a guy that he was a Hobie Baker winner uh, back in his college days. And again, just uh, 58. That's far too young. Far too young. And, and Curvers, you know, broke into hockey operations as the Coyotes color guy. <laughs> um, but went on to spend 10 years with the Tampa Bay Lightning organization from 08 to 2018. Um, fair bit of success over as part of a part of probably the model NHL hockey operations staff over that decade. Um, you know, never heard a bad word about the guy. That's pretty rare in this industry. So didn't know him personally, but obviously thoughts are with him and the family. And you know, brutal, just awful news. Yeah. Uh, clearly, a very very bright, talented guy and a talented hockey executive who had a ton of success. Well, let's see what the week ahead brings here as far as the Vancouver Canucks are concerned. We'll be back with two new episodes of the VanCast before this week is through. And again, just outside of a month from, in fact, I think we're a month away from Seattle expansion. And then beyond that, the draft itself and on to free agency. So uh, we're getting there. It's coming down the pipe uh, relatively quickly and uh, looking forward to what's going to be a, a fascinating month of July, not just for the Canucks, but uh, the hockey world as a whole. But before then, uh, we've got these two fantastic uh, semifinal series, and we'll see where they go and where they stand the next time you and I get together to record another episode of the VanCast. Check out our comment section for each podcast episode at the Athletic app. Rate and subscribe to the VanCast on Apple. And if you're not already a subscriber, go to theathletic.com slash VanCast and receive a subscription for just $3.99 a month. Check out Harm's piece on JT Miller as the third line center option for the Vancouver Canucks. For Tom, J-Pad, thanks so much for listening to another edition of the VanCast here at The Athletic and theathletic.com.